0: The edge eliminates the fiber mileage, so I don't have to have that flux capacitor and travel through time anytime soon. That can move things closer. And then you start looking at what, what is the edge, right? Often when you hear the edge, it, it typically comes from a cloud provider. And they're looking at it a lot of times from the, from the top down, from a compute down. As a customer, you need to split that, I think, right? You got to split that between the compute layer and the network layer, get granular. And once you look at it that way, then you can kind of understand is what is the handoff? Is there an actual handoff? What is that integration between network and cloud or network and application?
1: Hi, and welcome to Conversations with Dez. I'm your host, Dez Blanchfield. Today, I'm joined by Jason Inskip. Now, Jason's the director for the 5G Center of Excellence at AT AT&T Business. Jason, thanks for making time to join me. Welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thanks for having me. It's a privilege to be here. I've seen uh, plenty of my peers that uh, I look up to. So so thanks for having me. It's great. It's an honor.
1: Absolutely. And uh, in fact, it's, it's long overdue and I've been looking forward to this great conversation. So the general format of the show is we'd like to sort of get a little bit of insight into you personally and then look at uh, kind of uh, a day in the life of, of, of what your role entails. And then some key topics around the whole area of mobility, particularly some current trends that you're seeing, some of the challenges and opportunities organizations have faced uh, getting to this point in time, particularly in the context of 2020 and COVID-19. And then some of the things they should be thinking about in their boardrooms uh, going forward into the new year, both strategically and operationally, and, and I guess technically as well. But let's maybe just start to, uh, with a little insight into you. If we can do a little segue, if you don't mind, I wonder if we could maybe just uh, get a little bit of background yourself, where you're from, where you grew up, uh, were there any particular things that inspired you to go down this career path in, in a combination of deeply technical and also uh, uh, a business focus?
0: Yeah, thanks. Um, so I, I grew up... Uh oddly enough, to where I am today on a, on a farm in, uh, in, in Virginia, uh, near uh, Central Virginia, actually. Um, so kind of a weird twist for me. I uh, was fortunate enough to, to get to a scholarship in football here. And that put me into college uh, in, in Virginia. Um, you know, at the time, it was the world of Computer information systems, what you should do. Of course, me coming from a farm, I had no clue what really that meant, but it sounded good. So uh, <laughs> I loved to tinker at the time with a little bit of anything. Uh, so, yeah, so I jumped into that uh, as my degree. And, uh, you know, the interesting part that I always think about there is um, my final paper was actually right around the time when digital cellular was taking over from analog cellular, right? You know, when the first, I guess you'd call it the first G was coming in, right? And then I left college, and I actually loved that paper. So, you know, as an athlete, the, the joke remains, right? We, we Do we study? Who knows? But I got my degree. Um, anyway, but after that, I, I, you know, did like a lot of folks, didn't really know what I wanted to do. A uh, buddy of mine, he, he got me in, a, he, he does some recruiting in Northern Virginia. He got me teed in with, uh, uh, you know, mobile software company just was a natural for me i you know kind of did a lot of different jobs at the startup uh that I was in um and you know what my, my you know asked about questions like who do I look up to and a little bit cliche, but you know I think as my career progressed, it was always a good temperature check for me to say if I really understood the tech if I could explain it to my dad right obviously my dad and my mom you know far, you know farm family they have a different set of uh of intelligence right they could make the tractor go make the fields happen but you know, let's start talking about the iOS and Android operating system and the unique capabilities, yeah, that's not going to go good. So, um, you know, being able to get to that ducks and bunnies role and and translate it into their language, if I did that, I was successful. And I think part of that, you know, kind of stuck with me going forward is, you know, feel free to explain it as technical as possible, but be sure to bring it back down to a level that's in context of the person you're dealing with
1: being able to go back to the fundamentals of you know what makes this machine work what makes it tick how does it how does it start how do i have to repair it i often find people either from a, an engineering background or a software de- design background or even when they ended up in executive roles if they've come from a fairly hands-on practitioner uh, uh early life uh, they tend to get, have a, a slightly better yeah. capacity to, to sort of think about how to unbundle or unpack things and then figure out well if i pull it apart and i can put it back together uh, can I make it work again? Right. <laughs> yeah,
0: if I'm the one pulling it apart, I can put it back together. Right. If I'm the one that pulls it apart, I have a better chance of putting it back together. Right. Exactly.
1: Indeed. <laughs> and I do like your, uh, your, your note there. Cause like you, uh, my dad, uh, uh, my dad actually dropped out of very early of college and school, I think at the age of 12, and got onto bulldoze and started moving. And you had this great line when we we're talking off air, I hope you don't mind me mentioning, where you said something to the effect of, you know, you, I think you sure. said y- your dad said, uh, use all the big words you like, but make sure they're small by the end. <laughs> I, I, re- I love that line because that's exactly <laughs> the relationship I had with my dad. He's like, say what you like as long as I understand it when you finish talking. talking. um you know, I'm the same though, you know, like often people be talking to me, I'm like, stop using acronyms and explain to me like I'm a three-year-old because, I, you know, you're all gobbledygook. <laughs> but I did like your other comment and that yeah, was it's that, like
0: Yeah, just show me, show me what it's about, right? Show exactly. me that, what it means for me. Exactly.
1: And I did like your comment about the idea that if you knew it well enough to be able to explain to other people, that often meant that you knew it well enough, full stop. And and I, I've i been doing that my whole life. It's like I, I would always make sure that I was comfortable enough in something, whether it's software development or or, or development of design or engineering that I could try and train other people and convey that and write blogs and articles, which is kind of how I got to here because it was always a bit of a check and a balance because if I could explain it and someone got it and then went on to use it themselves, I was like, all right, well, I know enough about it now. And if I couldn't, then I had a bit more homework to be done. Well, I appreciate your uh, little insight into you personally and, uh, and your background there. And it sounds like you've had an amazing uh, life and, and academic and career path to get to here. In a normal day, uh, what is a day in the life of, of Jason Inskip like in your role? And, and what are some of the things that your role entails?
0: Yeah, pre pre-covid it was how fast can I get from airport to airport, right? Uh <laughs> was part of it. Um, that's that's one big change. Um you know, but again, pre-covid a lot of similarities. Um so we'll talk pre-covid first, right? Learned a ton, right? That's you know the the team and you know Robert Boynaski, Danessa Lambden, and, and Mo and when I was on the other side, you know they, they spent uh you know they, they spent some time to to get a team together to go really look at what's possible, right, with this next generation of 5G? They saw something big. Um, they created a team to go figure it out, right? So I got lucky enough to be a part of that. Um, and I was in the foundry at the time. So I, I had been, um, you know, kind of just classically trained on what we looked at from innovation, if you want to think about it that way. And, uh, you know, so at that point, you know, getting flashing forward to pre-COVID, it was a lot of, uh, here's what we think we can do, Mr. Business Customer, is that something that you would do, right? And really trying to translate, you know, customer desires into actual requirements, uh, you know, being able to speak between both rationalize, and, you know, as time progressed, you know, we began to get some of these uh, things out there. We, You know, obviously early learnings with Rush Hospital, early learnings with Samsung uh, Austin Semiconductor. Um, you know, and it just kept progressing, right, in terms of uh, adding scale and, and taking the learnings from customer A to customer B to customer C to really drive the process, right? Um, and, and that continued as, as the team, and we, we, we you know, built the, the COE out. And, you know, the, the guys that are in place, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to build unicorns, right? This end-to-end view, uh, take a look at the network in a different way, right? And, and how does that enable the next generation of techs? So that that was, you know, pre-COVID, right, post-COVID, same thing I mean it's really the same job but the the tools to do it are different right I'm not in front of the customers anymore so we had to adapt there's other things that the team was uh, that we really want to do in terms of helping our peers scale right this is a different talk track than we've had before right and it's a different technology frankly in, in terms of what's changing so so now you know being home not traveling I you know I made that joke at the beginning but being able to be home has, has allowed us to, uh, you know, again initially face the challenge, and then two, hey, there's a lot of things we've got to do, right, to, to get ready to go, um, and, and looking at you know getting the right trainings in place, not only internally but externally, uh, spending time with guys like that Des to make sure we get him all the updates on what we're doing, so he can help help evangelize it, right, and then at the same time working with customers, but we have to be a little more thoughtful. I think the biggest you know challenge that that we've had is. Uh, the team has been in place about a year. They're they're ramping up fast. Everybody's ramping up fast, but you know, I'm a hands-on learner, right? I, you mentioned the practitioner kind of mindset. I think we've all missed out on being in front of customers face-to-face, right? Getting the whiteboard out, as we mentioned offline, right? Being able to just scribble. Um, and those kind of ideation sessions, I think we all miss. Uh, but we've adapted, and we're continuing to adapt. And I, I think as we continue to do that, uh, we're beginning to now put – the things that we had in our brain, the, the the free time that we used to sit on the plane with now is beginning to turn into you know methodology and thought leadership uh, that we can take into 21, 22 and beyond. So uh, so definitely a change, uh, but we've adapted and, and I think it's uh, still doing the same things, right? Translate from the customer's perspective into that product line on the backside and help scale the business.
1: I love it. I, I, I really love the, uh, the terminology used there, particularly the, the phrase translate. It's such a critical skill set. To be able to listen, conceive what the business or technology challenge is for the customer and then translate that into a capability or solution and then, and then implement it and, and glue those together. That's such a, a unique skill set and that, that I think more than anything is, is one of the many things that sets you apart um and uh, you know it's interesting listening to you talk about the, the shift so i guess what we're referring to now as work from home is that in many ways i look to that as, as sort of being outside of our comfort zone and, and often that's when we have to start to innovate and, and think outside of the box as it were and uh I, I, you know there's no doubt you've definitely uh, yourself individually and your team have uh, not only had to do that but been capable to do that and, and we've seen evidence of that in the way that you've addressed the the whole challenge through this year so far and uh Uh, and and, whether it's in helping retailers work in car parks because they couldn't uh, have people in their restaurants and stores or first responders in hospitals and and ensuring that I'm sure ICUs and, and devices that go bing are connected and all of those things and keeping people safe from ransomware and other things that, you know, You've been taken out of your normal environment, and put into a space, and potentially quote unquote out of your comfort zone in a traditional sense, but clearly have rallied to it and and risen to the challenge. And I congratulate you on that. Uh, and you've certainly made people's Thank lives uh, easier in the process. And you know that we've we've had some great conversations with some of your peers around that space. Maybe let's just start with the first bit. You know, I wonder if you could potentially just define what mobility in your world means right now. And, and what some of the buzzy bits uh, sort of equate to and the bits that are maybe less known and some of the more important aspects for enterprise uh, businesses to be aware of when they think of what mobility actually means and, and certainly from the context of your world.
0: When I think about what does mobility mean in, in, in context of my team and or the team I think is a better way to look at it because you know we don't look at ourselves as just part of a this small group. There's a lot of uh, folks that are, that pay, that play into this. Right. And, and, you know, our mantra and the way we try to think about it is you hit, you said, think outside of the box. I don't want them to think outside of the box. I want them to rebuild the box. Right. Traditionally, when you look at how mobility or, or cellular has been done, um, you know, the, the first, I have like three tenants that I kind of revolve around the definition of 5g really in mobility. And, and, you know, in this new generation, not necessarily where we came from, but where we're going. Um, and the first, you know, tenet is, you know, really it always about what, you know, how fast are you? What, you know, who's the fastest? You know, what's your map look like? And, and you know, what, what can that do? And, and the world shifted. That's table stakes now. The, the network and the topology that is cellular has changed, right? It's now software defined. It's not monolithic built anymore. It's flexible. It's got the ability to be, you know, like, like a chessboard. I can move the pieces where I need to get the checkmate, right, and win the game. Right? That's, that's the real you know, great opportunity for our customers if, if it was still that speeds, feeds and maps kind of conversation do we have the same uh, innovation conversation? I don't know Right, I mean we did see game changing things come out of LTE, the, the Uber economy uh, the app store explosion um, and it worked great right over the top now the applications are starting to demand more which is pushing us toward convergence at the same time you know, that, that convergence is leading to the third tenet that, that I tend to talk about when I define not only mobility but 5G and what you need, which is um, – uh, it's a user-defined construct, right? Because of the software-centric nature of, of the way the network is done, because of commoditization of spectrum in some ways, because of the demands of the users needing more than just speed, um, it needs to be user-defined, right? As, as a former you know software person, right? You know, that mentality, you know, I tapped around the keyboard a little bit, but, you know, if I didn't know what the user was doing, it didn't work. And that's the way the software, the, the 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 sailor networks become and this user-defined construct. And because of that, that continuum of control is much broader, right? So now a customer can, you know, begin to think, and you might hear me say this five or six times throughout this, they can really let use case drive connectivity versus being inhibited by it right and that's that's the key we want to enable that we want to give them that flat paradigm so if i can get to those three tenants convergence uh more than just speeds and feeds and user defined my customers and ultimately the end customer whether it's b2b to b to b or b2bc if we can enable that we're going to get some new we're going to get some great experiences as, as we continue to do for and adding to what we've already done
1: it's a great point I, I like your point there about the fact that uh, once and once everyone's got the same speed network and everyone's got the same devices, then you kind of flatten the, the landscape of, of what the competitive edge is. Then you, you start to look at how do you really innovate, and I think we've definitely seen that, and is that everyone's got fast handsets. Uh, most of the carrier networks are fairly consistently similar in performance, and LTE is LTE, so then how do you start to innovate from there? And that's when the really interesting things happen, and I'm sure that's what you're doing in your 5G center of excellence on a daily basis. With all that in mind, I wonder if you can give us some insight into some of the, I guess, the impact and opportunities that you see for organizations looking to invest in mobility to gain, I guess, a business benefit from it primarily. Um, You know, there's been some immediate impacts that they've had to deal with mobility challenges, uh, but there's also plenty of opportunities. I'm sure you are seeing lots of those. When organizations look to invest in mobility to gain a business benefit, where should they be looking? What are you seeing out in the market? What are some of the early wins? What are some of the quick wins that they can gain? And, and what direction do you think they should be heading?
0: Yeah, that's that's a great question. I mean, we we learned, you know, early on with some of the early trials, whether it was uh, some of the things we did in Waco, Texas some of the things we did with the hospitals and then some of the manufacturing sites. And, you know, technology was great, but we learned an operational model too, right? Kind of a methodology to think about. And I think, you know, as much as the technology is important, I, I actually preach more the methodology, which is, hey, these are the things you need to consider as you're thinking about mobility now that there is this um, com- potential for common aggregation point and a single kind of access method, or or not, or not a single access method, I should say. Um, and then the next thing that we start to think about it and we look at this methodology is there's this data paradigm. or, or It's kind of a control thing scenario, right? On one hand, you've got the industrial site, right? And, and you always, we've heard a lot. You probably have heard it and you've seen a lot around, oh, manufacturing is where people are gravitating for private cellular or, or private LTE or private 5G. And, and you say, well, oh, wow, why, why? why? And, you know, my hypothesis is because they own all the data. Right. So they don't have to be concerned with with consumer and, and what the consumer would do in their manufacturing facility, because, frankly, there's no consumer in there. Right. On the other end of the scale, you've got, you know, your stadium environments. you know, look at what we've done at AT&T Stadium and the kinds of kinds of experiences that have been put in there. I look at my peers that are working on NBA and, and some of the things they've done recently with the uh, holographic um, you know, interview stuff. And it's really powerful, especially when I see what's behind the scenes, and I'm like, "Wow, we did that, and we're doing more of that." That's, that's incredible. The 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 thing though is, when I look at that stadium, yes, it's impactful, but they don't own all the data. You got 100,000 fans, maybe 30, 40,000 of them are AT and T. Another set is the other guys. That stadium wants a universal fan experience, right? So it makes it harder to kind of go deploy those and really show hard dollar ROI. Conversely. At the manufacturing site, you know, just the infrastructure alone, they can go one direction and they're, they can draw ROI and, and really show hard dollar ROI. It's not quite as quote unquote sexy right now, but hey, it's, it, they, they see opportunity to drive that return on investment. And, and again, that's where, you know, we kind of gravitate toward that data model. Both situations have some great opportunity. We're seeing great things rolled out. Um, But then we work across that data model based on site type, user type, and then ultimately use case persona, right? And as we think about that, there's all these considerations that we have to think about with our customers, right? What is the impact of licensed versus shared versus unlicensed spectrum? What's the impact of a local core versus a central core versus an edge, right? What do those things do? What's the trade-off between high bandwidth and near edge versus low bandwidth and far edge, right? Back to the convergence point. It's not a matter of uh, uh, can it be done? It's what's the, the Goldilocks, right? What is the the optimal solution?
1: Yeah, you've got a couple of amazing examples that I'm a big fan of more than, than usual. I mean, I love a lot of the technology that comes out of your organization by default, being a geek. But, uh, you know, the connected ambulance, uh, <laughs> where, you know, a lot of kids grow up loving uh, either garbage trucks or, or fire engines. I was always the ambulance kid. <laughs> People used to think I was a bit weird, but I loved ambulances because yeah. I, I just I was fascinated by kind of what happened in them. And, you know, it, as an example of mobility, when you think about ambulances, you know, they've always had radios to be able to talk They're back to base. And they then had sort of, you know, mobile phone mm-hmm. technology, various things. But, you know, these days we've got the likes of, you know, your 5G connected uh, ambulance solution where you know we can we can do haptic feedback with gloves in the back of the van as it's cruising down the road yeah. at 100 kilometers an hour, and you can send high res uh, images backwards and forwards and scans. And you know, I look at the innovation that's just done in something as simple as an ambulance around the mobility technology stack, and I just keep thinking, God, you know, we we are so close to the George well, Jetson world, aren't we?
0: Well, it's 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 funny, right? I, you mentioned George jets and I. I <laughs> I tell the cliche sometimes. I got to go from Fred Flintstone to Jetson. How do I get from Fred Flintstone to George Jetson? What's his journey look like? Right? <laughs> um, you that. mentioned ambulance, and oh well, yeah, it's right because that's what that's what happens a lot of time. A lot of people you, robotics isn't new; people have been doing it for years, but they're just not they're not at Fred Flintstone robotics. They're at like Scooby and Shaggy robotics. Right? We're we're, we're getting there, we want to get to George Jetson robotics. So how do we take that journey? I, I love cartoons, obviously, but when you look at the ambulance model, right? wouldn't it be great if that information starts flowing as soon as the, 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 the ET is there with that medical personnel is with there. And Oh, by the way, it's got first netting, which is our first responder network that, you know, is built just for that purpose, right? Priority and preemption during a busy time, they yeah. can get connected. They can start having that triage right there with that individual. And Oh, by the way, start shipping that data back. But because it's not controlled spectrum, it may not send heavy bandwidth back. Gets in the ambulance. Ambulance got a little bit of hyper edge compute in it, so it's making some decisions. Maybe shipping back some info back to the, the nurses station at the hospital. And then as that ambulance is getting closer to the hospital, maybe there's denser infrastructure there that's millimeter wave. And you know, I don't know if it's possible, but can they take an X ray on, on the on the ambulance so that when they hit that millimeter wave, no, boom, that X ray is now sitting with the resident doctor waiting for it get in the hospital. Oh, we need surgery. Okay. Well, you know, I'm not going to go as far as robotic surgery, but wouldn't it be great to have sensors that are plugged onto this person through their cast or whatever else that once they get to their, after their surgery, they go into their recovery room, they can send them home without having to put a new sensor on because the sensor just works wherever they are, but it accommodates the different bandwidths. That's that full convergence, right? You notice that's an ecosystem. Nothing changed from a topology perspective. Just the amount of data and how the data was sent is what changes, right? If I'm on the ground, you know, I'm going to send a little bit of data. In the ambulance, I've got more control because I got an edge. I got some compute. Hyper edge. I get nearer to the hospital. I got bigger bandwidth, so now I'm going to ship more stuff. I get in the hospital, again, controlled bandwidth, yeah. I want that person to go home and recover at home. Same thing and everything just – it just flows, right? That's what we're trying to get to is just a flat taxonomy built on top of it.
1: Indeed. And and the thing that I, I love hearing the passion in your voice about it because uh, it's one of those areas where I imagine you literally leap out of bed every day wanting to work on this technology because – when we think about the the positive disruption that this kind of innovation's having it it is in this case literally saving lives uh, which may sound like a bit of a pun but uh, mm-hmm. yeah you know and it's one of the reasons i always was as a kid fascinated by ambulances you know as i said some kids would look up and go oh look there's a garbage truck hello garbage truck driver and and there's a fire engine, yeah, great, but I was like, where's that ambulance going? And, and it always used to fascinate me, because as you said, when you think about that journey, right, then the, the second that van leaves the hospital or wherever it might be, and it's getting some information, the closer it gets to the incident, it's getting more and more information to make a decision, and then they've got to make a hot decision yeah. on the spot and work out, you know, do we resuscitate or do we something here or do we put them on a machine or whatever the case may yeah. be, and then transport them back and then hand them over, and there's that whole end-to-end journey which these days when i think about the the best analogy for data driven decision business environments i always look to ambulances it's like that is a non stop data driven decision making environment doesn't matter whether it's a, a heart rate going beep or blood pressure or oxygen flow everything's about the data and, and people look at me going wow i never really thought about that well
0: but you know you know it's you know it's funny though i, I actually would go a step deeper it's not about the ambulance it's about the event that happened Yeah. right i want to capture at the event level right so the event was uh, Joe um, Joe Aussie rules football guy broke his leg, right? So I, I got to make sure he gets from the from the field there, or we can go the they go a little rugby route for you. We, you know, yeah. I got to make sure that individual and his incident is informed quickly. The ambulance is alerted quickly. It gets there, it's triaged. So I'm taking, it, I'm going a step deeper. The user in this case isn't the ambulance. The user is the uh, the injured party.
1: That's a good point. So,
0: I want to go to that level. I want to go to that granularity because then I can fit the ambulance to the need or needs to the personas that I'm trying to tackle. The ambulance is a tool that has different things in it.
1: That's a great point. We actually have that here in Australia in that we have um, motorcycles that are set up as mobile ambulances and they can get to places faster in traffic. They can also, there's a lot of them because they're cheaper to build and we can have 10 of those for every one big van. And so, we have this mobile unit of motorcycles of ambulance kits that get to the places and do the early triage while the full van can get there but no it is a great analogy but when we think about mobility across all of that it's interesting to start to visualize that and create these mental pictures of those non-traditional spaces that people thought of think about when we say mobility and they're going, oh, you mean mobile phones or laptops with SIM cards. I'm like, no, actually, I'm thinking about the other end of the spectrum, if you'll pardon the pun, of all the places where stuff moves around and we now need to get the network to it and get data to it. And I guess this is another question I'd like to throw at you when we think about the key challenges that businesses face in leveraging mobility solutions. Um, and, and certainly, you know, in a recent conversation we had on camera, uh, you talked about some of the key uh, business challenges that organizations face when they look to leverage mobility solutions. I wonder if we can expand on that in a little. I'd love to get a sense from you, given your amazing role and your position being right at the bleeding edge of the were. I mean, in your experience, in your view, what's happening in the remote access space, particularly with the bring your own device and endpoints and security some of the challenges around legacy, sort of 2, 3 to 4G, et cetera. I'm sure there's been a massive need for real investment and int- attention in all of these in light of what this year required with the likes of work from home or supporting service workers or frontline workers, and particularly in healthcare and retail. Uh, what, what are some of the key challenges that you've seen businesses face in their attempts to leverage mobility solutions, and particularly in the context of this year?
0: You know, the first thing that I saw early on, uh, actually the, the last trip I took was the day before everything was locked down, I had a red eye back from from Seattle of all places, which if you remember was, was really got hit pretty hard uh, early on um, in, in the, uh, in the, in, in the, in the events. Right. And the next day uh, or next, the following week, I was on with, with a gentleman and, and he mentioned, you know, the day before I had 80% of people in my office. Now I have 80% of people at home and it just a total shift of how the net, their network had to look from a, know their core backbone and their wan kind of environment and how they would dial in and you said you know it's holding up thank you right because when i looked at what what we've done i mean you know we we had to shift things and the operators stood up really well right and i think a lot of that's an attribute attributed to the networks more in software it's more of a living breathing type of organism Uh, at the same time our frontline workers right so you know Great work! Kudos to what they've been doing. So thankful for the, the work they've put in and, and the, you know the, the the risk they've taken. So so obviously want to thank them for that. At the same time, thank our, our our FirstNet team, right, and the work they've done, really enabling those first responders as well, right? And FirstNet being you know our our obligation and our desired obligation to build out the first responder network here in the U.S. and you know really enable those first responders to have. The right sort of connectivity uh, during this event time, so so that was big. Um, you know, then you see the pivot to home, right? And you know, how do you take care of? You know, obviously, when my kids got home. They want to maybe jump on and play some games. They want to do their homework, and that's They're all virtual, right? And you know, that's sucking bandwidth. So you have all these new challenges of how do we make sure we get the right bandwidth, make it predictable, and, and oh by the way, <laughs> the security. Right, a whole new paradigm taking shape with security. the 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 good news of maybe cellular is, and maybe it's you know something that we've got to be, uh, you know, educate on in a different way is just the inherent things that are built into Sailor. So if I have you know you mentioned the work from home model, you know, I I sometimes don't even jump on Wi-Fi at home because I know my kids and my wife and others at home are are using that bandwidth for their purposes. So I'll stay on Sailor, and the Sailor network has gotten better. In terms of supporting that. Uh, not everywhere. I mean, obviously we've got to continue to add that density. At the same time, you know, you're you're seeing changes in how the edge construct is being built. And while there's inherent security built into s- the cellular network, whether it's session by session separation, error interface encryption, um, there's this, you know, next sort of opportunity, and always with opportunity is risk around how the edge is converging. Right, and and those new areas of opportunity for hackers to slip in on, so we've got to be very intelligent in terms of how we add that extra layer to our customers' environment, how we do those things on top of it. You mentioned two G, three G. Obviously, that that's a big challenge for a lot of folks with IoT in terms of how they're managing their their environments, and you know we're working with customers now on how to make that transition as smooth as possible, right? And, and you know, but there's a lot of characteristics that will make that a good move to a, a either a late LTE or maybe in some cases 5G, whether it was low band spectrum or something like that, especially when you look at some of the characteristics that are come with 5G around network slicing, right, the ability to kind of get some HOV lanes of sorts on the cellular network, which we never could do before. And all of those technologies, you know, I think good and bad, COVID has helped it, you know accelerate some of the need for it. I, I'll tell you, one of the biggest ones, while I would um, – You know, while we've been looking at it for years is, uh, you know, video as a sensor for thermal, right? We've been looking at that for customers to use video instead of, you know, 25, 30, 40 sensors along a pipeline, just use two or three cameras for two or three years now. So when it started popping up that, hey, you can use this for get back to work, we're like, well, great. I've got about 10 other use cases I can stack on top just because of how the topology has changed to support that where it's no longer a case of, cost in terms of dollars so much as it is a cost in terms of capacity because we've changed the construct, right? And how these video solutions could be used and help scale customers. So again, we're seeing that enablement layer. Again, I, I sometimes I, I think about this almost like Maslow's hierarchy of technology needs. The bottom, give me a flat foundation of connectivity. It's like air and water. If you don't have it, you can't breathe, you can't survive. Connectivity is kind of the same way. Right, next layer up in the pyramid. Like, I don't have the five layers that Maslow did, but I've got, oh, well, I think it's five. But I don't, the next one, I'm doing security and privacy, right? How do I enable that security and privacy? And then at the top, you've got your use cases. That's where the return on investment is typically. But if I don't have that foundation, I can't get there. So that's why we've tried to be really thoughtful about that foundation. And then as we're thinking about that, what are those applications like video that is highly portable, very scalable? that we can add on top that that's really going to change the game, maybe enable other things, but again, continue to think foundationally, give our customers what they need to um, really expand the experiences the way they want to. Let, again, let use case drive connectivity, but to do that, we've got to give them the the predictable, reliable network that they need, which again, seeing the teams do it every day. So very proud of
1: them. Mm, indeed. Uh, no, there's, it's that perfect blend of, of finding the business benefit, uh, but also finding the right technology to leverage at the right place at the right time. And I loved your yeah. example of uh, of using sort of one camera in place of, you know, particularly, I guess, what used to be 20 or 30 humans so then 10 old school cameras. One of the things that always strikes me about this, and I've seen a couple of solutions come out of at business that I'm sure you are involved in, where the likes of, say, one thermal camera looking at, let's say, a pipeline in manufacturing – there might be one use case to look for it for for leaks. There might be another use case for looking for from physical movement and you end up with the same data set of of data coming off that video sensor going through one filter to look for a particular action and then going through another filter for a different one and you just start building layers of intelligence on top of it and then as you get those layers of intelligence, you look for analytics and insights, and use machine learning to look at over time and how has it changed over time. Is it expanding? Does something enter the zone and go? And if so, how often is there a frequency? And eventually, yeah. that really simple concept of of a single sensor, potentially you know, in, a, in the form of a camera, well, just could become so much smarter and smarter over time, right? Well,
0: we'll, t- we'll t- take we'll take a step further, right? I mean, you're you're getting to where I call that uh, nirvana, right? Which is That video sees Joe the mechanic walking through, but he doesn't have Jill, his peer with him, right? So that's the first error. Let's send that note back because that I, I don't see the four legs I'm supposed to see. Then that location picks up and knows it's him. So I'm dynamically building. And then, oh, by the way, well, Jill can be with me on video. Let me patch her in. So now she can look over my shoulder. And, oh, by the way, I want to give you the right AR data in real time. So that the camera can now say, well, I see you're walking in. You need to be 10 feet away from X to actually see the temperature change. And all that's happening near real time, right? And and the video is just a piece of that, that organism, right? The human is. But if that data is not done with a reliable network, you're going to have challenges, one. Two, if the operational model around the data massage and data push to the right insight doesn't take shape, right? well, the experience isn't right. So it's this, you know, this harmony that's really got to take shape again, back to convergence to get to that, where we want to be in is just one great piece of it because of its portability, as you mentioned, do so many things with it, but then now add it back to its traditional use. Just let somebody look over your shoulder, but at the same time, give them more data. Right. So it's, I, it's, it's really cool to see how all this stuff starts to come together. Uh, but it, but it is a, uh, it is a new space, and there's a lot, a lot of learning that everybody's undertaking as we go through it, building the plane as we push it off the cliff in some cases, right?
1: <laughs> yes, indeed, but with all the right tools in the plane. I um,
0: Yeah, exactly. It, uh, it
1: reminds me of, uh, last year uh, when we were allowed to go to physical events. I had the privilege of keynoting at uh, your AT&T Business Summit, and, and the topic I was asked to talk about was sort of, you know, transforming the way we approach 5G. And so I talked about it from the point mm. of gamification. I used the Pokemon model and said, you know, no one really expected Pokemon to come along with its model and uh, using augmented reality. And, you know, here's this game that didn't have a handset. It, uh, it swapped out the handset for a mobile phone. It didn't have a console. Uh, it swapped the console out for the cloud. Uh, it didn't have a game space. It used the world. Uh, it didn't have characters. It used augmented reality over the world. And uh, and it was actually launched as a bit of an April Fool's prank uh, because they didn't really know what the parent mm-hmm. was, but it exploded. And, you know, and and all of a sudden you have this gamification of game world where there's no console, it doesn't have a handset, it doesn't have a game space, its world is the real world, and you look at it through your phone camera and you chase it around the planet and it lives in your backyard. And everywhere you go, there is one. And, and if yeah. you get in your car and drive fast from one place to another, you can, you're caught cheating and you're not allowed to do that. So all these people like me with my, my kids lost a lot of weight as well. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, the whole thing I was sort of pitching was here's the thing where gamification of the game world changed what gaming actually was. When we think about 5G and as you said, some of the layering and some of the augmentation of current environments you know, as you said, are you 10 uh, feet or meters away from something? Uh, do you have a peer with you from a safety point of view? Uh, did, did uh, you know, something on wheels roll into the space accidentally and now is it a risk? All those things can be added layer by layer. Yeah, and 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 those, exactly. they can be incremental upgrades and incremental investments. And I, I think that one of the mm-hmm. things you've really woken uh, listeners up to there is the benefit that mobility can offer when you approach it from that point of view that it doesn't have to be just one big investment. One of the things we talked about a couple of times is 5G, of course, no secret there. I wonder if we can sort of look at the impact of 5G-powered edge networks in particular and, and the vast Internet of Things device networks or IoT networks that we're going to see as devices go from a couple of hundred things on a Wi-Fi network with 802.11x to 5G with potentially millions of sensors and, and, and you know, whether they're cameras or just looking for wind or heat or temperature. I mean, mobility now includes 5G-powered edge networks and these vast IoT device networks, and they're, they're only getting bigger by the day. Can you share some examples of, of some concrete use cases you're seeing currently? And you mentioned video, but and then some of the intelligence around that. Have you got some other use case examples that you can sort of share where you,
0: you're already implementing well, these? I, was, I, I would say video is a technology, not a use case. Right. That's the first thing I would say. Um, yeah, that's the common thing, first start with but i think some use cases right um you know the first one is always connected worker i typically see the industrial side right just and i look at it maybe a different way is i try to think about them in terms of zero five ten right zero being the easiest ten being the most complex and five being you know we're going to get some return on investment the the lift shouldn't be too heavy so as i think about those right a zero you know we've done some work with uh in July, you may have saw a press release with Philip sixty six, right? Yep. We did some stuff on their site, and you know, when when you look at, you know, connected workers, right? That's that's for, first and foremost for them is just, hey, I need reliable, stable connection around my large, very industrial refining type space, and, and you know, other technologies, for a different reason, were very expensive to get that scale, right? And you know. That's a zero use case, though. If I've got connectivity and I put a SIM in it, I'm up and running, and there's immediate return on investment because they can do things that they couldn't do before, right, in terms of updating things in real time. And I'm not just talking about these guys, but just as an example, that's a, that's a connected worker topology that, to your point, I can add layers to and connect more to, right? So whether it's um, you know something that tells whether they're standing up or laying down, whether it's yeah. chemical detection, things like that, those things, sensors add on, right? So that's connected worker, that's, that's an easy one, right? Just light up your, your tablet or your smartphone with a connectivity that you can do like you and I are now. Always be on, always be connected and not have to you know uh, adjust the antenna on your helmet to make it work right. Now that the cellular conversation has changed, right? Remember we talked software, you asked about 5G and edge. The edge allows me to beat the speed of light, right? So that way I can get closer to the device thus reducing latency. So latency now becomes equal at a common aggregation port or very similar. The next thing then you're worried about is jitter, right? And with cellular, the jitter is very low, right? The delta between the high and low jitter is very low, and it even gets better when you get to 5G. So think about your robot. Alternative technologies, say, use an unlicensed spectrum, there's a there's a risk uh, of jitter because of the way the the, the schedulers work. In that model, If my robot has a jitter effect of 70 milliseconds above where its norm is, I've got to slow the robot down to be safe for everybody around it, whereas cellular, my jitter sensitivity may be 10, 15 milliseconds max. Therefore, my robot can go faster. Therefore, it can deliver more stuff. Therefore, the ROI is easier to see it. But guess what? The only thing I really had to change in terms of integration and topology is put a sim in it. Now that the sim is in it, that robot is running, and all the only other thing they're doing is making it go faster to the point where it hits the threshold of I can stop in time for safety of person around me. Right? That's a five, right? Then you've got a 10. We kind of talked about this 10 before. So in the 10 model, I've created this connected worker environment with the sensors to go with it. I've created the robot five type of sensor environments where I've added sensors where I never had them before, and I've got all my sensors kind of laid out. And 10 becomes that Nirvana digital twin, right, where I walk through the facility with my headset on or my device or whatever, and I get the right data at the right time based on who I am and my skill set the way I need it, right? Not overwhelming you, but just what I need, right? Just Goldilocks, right? Just Goldilocks, that's all. Just Goldilocks. That's a 10 because not only do I have to change the network topology and change that I also have to normalize a bunch of different data streams and also have to integrate with back-end systems that maybe I never integrated with before. That's where the 10 comes in. What we've really tried to do underneath of that is make that network layer flat and predictable so that when you're ready to take that step from zero to five to 10, at least that piece you don't have to think about anymore. right? And those are the kind of things we look at. So then when I look at how the edge plays into that, the edge eliminates the fiber mileage, so I don't have to have that flux capacitor and travel through time anytime soon, right? I, I don't need to do that yet. I can move things closer. And then you start looking at what, what is the edge, right? Oftentimes when you hear the edge, it, it typically comes from a cloud provider. And they're looking at it a lot of times from the, from the top down, from a compute down. As a customer, you need to split that, I think, right? you got to split that between the compute layer and the network layer, right? Get granular, right? Break it down to its ducks and bunnies. And once you look at it that way, then you can kind of understand is what is the handoff? Is there an actual handoff? What is that integration between network and cloud or network and application? And for us, the more we try to think about it, we're also trying to think about, you know, how can we make it even better, right? Are there, is there information that I can help that the the network can help the application with and vice versa to that integration and. Sh- streamlining continues to get better so that you know now it's not zero five ten or zero five ten goalposts move to where the ten is now the five. And there's a new ten that comes in maybe with the likes of I'm gonna say this and um you know somebody's probably gonna come back and say what does that mean to the likes of what six G may bring, right? And I saw some of it. It's pretty cool. Still a long ways off. But you know the ten will move. So those are the kind of things that, you know, when I look at the edge, it's just enabling a whole new way of looking at it, an opportunity for ecosystem growth, an opportunity to do things in a converged manner that, you know, we're going to give our customers the right experience, right? Whether it's a consumer, whether it's an enterprise, whether it's a stadium, whether it's a manufacturing, hospital, retail, it's just changing. But looking at it from the user persona perspective, that's what's going to get the optimal solutions that our customers need, whether, again, it's the enterprise or their customer on the other side.
1: Wow, I love it! And you've given us some great insights into some of the potential use cases that uh, are very much outside the uh, the normal four dots. You you mentioned a couple of exciting ones. I mean, obviously we've got the connected ambulance, and you've you've got uh, the amazingly uh, fortuitous in many ways timing of the the deployment of, of FirstNet, uh, although we couldn't have predicted COVID nineteen, but. Um, uh I wonder if there's any outliers that you've seen out there that don't immediately appear obvious use cases of of mobility solutions but ended up being very high value opportunities. I know you've done things like um you know entertainment for example, in football stadiums with augmented reality and the and the selfie thing with with the pros. Uh, have there been any uh, sort of outlier use cases where mobility, either from a business or technology perspective, has surprised even you? And you've looked at it and gone, oh, that's innovative. Let's really plug into that. There must have been some interesting ones that you've seen that the rest of us wouldn't even dream of.
0: Yeah, obviously, COVID slowed it down. But the things that we were trying to think about with the Warner lot, right, that asset and that, you know, those people coming, that, that group coming in has you know, changed a lot of ways that that we look at things. Right. So being on the lot, you know, I'm a movie head movie buff anyway. anyway <laughs> and, you know, you see things like this is where Casablanca was filmed. This is where big bang theory was filmed. Wow. And, you know, you walk back in the back and there in front of me is, you know, I, I remember this one cause you know, Mo was with me and like, this is, and I get goosebumps thinking about it, this is the actual film reels where Stanley Kubrick's, uh, you know, Clockwork Orange was. I'm like, oh, wow, no right? That's a you know, piece of history, right? Oh, my God. So, so, And then, oh, the other one, right? While we're on it, we walk in and someone's working on Wizard of Oz. And I'm like, oh, wow, every Thanksgiving for every year throughout my life, that movie's on. And obviously, it's a big part of us. Wow. So you see all that, and you see the things that they're thinking about, right? And bringing that content in, enhancing what you see with Pose, with the pros, enhancing that when you're on the lot. And you just, you're... you're you're like, wow, we can do some great things. More publicly that I've seen, where I'm like, man, we did that. Is you know, I, I see the the NBA inter holographic interview, right? The hologram interview, and I'm like, man, that's incredible to see. You know what? You know, you're watching again, flashback to everybody who watched Star Wars, Help Me, Obi Wan Kenobi, and now that's real. That's here, right? And you you look at that and you say, wow, I was a kid thinking that's you know that's way out there and here we are it's here yeah right so as you start seeing it there's other projects too where you know i can't talk about but i'm like i didn't think i'd see this and you know really getting to george jetson level and again it's it's all ecosystem stuff though right it's hey can i let me help you understand my ecosystem and then getting that uh, conversation back and yeah, the future's here. <laughs> it's, as weird as it sounds, yeah. the future's here.
1: <laughs> no, I love that line. It's uh, you know, it, it's come up a few times, but I I love the fact that you've mentioned that you know the, the future is today, and and this is where we now need to look at the outliers. It reminds me of an anecdote of when the uh, the Boeing um, Dreamliner seven eight seven came out, and and it was such a unique build because. You know the wings tilted up to 25 degrees on takeoff, and there was uh, bits that bent that didn't look like they should bend. And I think the original design had about 6,000 sensors in the wings to to track how you know how the whole machine was working. And when it first came out, on every flight, uh, when the airplane left the ground and then landed, it was generating about 2.5 uh, terabytes of data. And I started doing some math, and I was like, well, hang on, that's that's a really big hard drive of data to pull on and off the plane every time it lands. And then I, I went and did some research on the local US market because I was doing a keynote around it, and I thought, this is an interesting topic. And it turns out there's 87,400 domestic flights a day in the US when airplanes are flying pre-COVID. So I did the math, and I was like, hang on, this is like 40-odd petabytes a day of data. I was like, how, how the hell are we going to do it? But the key point was that the engineers that were designing the plane knew they needed to the capture data. They just didn't have the technology yet, so they put the appropriate sensors in. The people who built the network and the sensors in the airplane knew the networking wasn't quite there, but they knew it would come. And here we are in 2020, the 5G, as you said, just plug a sim in, as it were. 5G makes all of that possible because we can now pull that data off the plane. And many times it can pull off in real time while it's flying across the country. Uh, but back then, they just had to have faith that the the, 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 the carrier and service provider technology was going to catch up with what they were doing with planes. And, and you know, as you said, now we can have a digital twin of a, of a Boeing 787 as it's flying. A digital twin can make mm-hmm. sure that it's healthy and say, so here are the thresholds of what the engine should be doing. Uh, bearing number 15 on 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 uh, the left wing is a little over temperature. Let's monitor it. Yeah. Uh, and, and we look at it now and go, well, when you're thinking about mobility, when you're thinking about either the business benefit or the technology benefit, think beyond what we're doing now. And that's why I was really keen to get your thoughts around the outliers. As you said, you know, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's like, well, maybe that's the new video conference. We don't know. But we've kind of got to design and build and invest with a view that we solve a problem now, but look at what will it do going forward. And that is that, you know, you can layer on top of it. You can gain insights and, uh, you know, even to the point of uh, a project I worked on recently where we, we put drones out to look at uh, power lines and power poles for faults where humans might have to go where there was risk. And we looked at the last nine years of data that they had, and used intelligence with machine learning to, to find issues and faults that we hadn't even noticed as humans uh, and then sent drones out to find them and use mobility connectivity to bring that data back in real time and, and you know, virtually walk through millions of poles and wires and, and, and power lines to save lives. And So I think it's an exciting space. I guess one of the things I'd like to wrap up on then with that in mind is that kind of that whole future view, where are we going, and a little bit of what I would normally call crystal ball gazing, if you don't mind. I mean, when we're thinking about what's coming over the horizon, there's the immediate challenge of COVID-19 and what 2021 is going to look like from a, a human point of view and a health point of view. But you know, when we think about it from a business and technology and particularly telecommunications point of view, decision makers are having to consider a whole range of things. I wonder if you were to take a little peek inside a virtual crystal ball and give us a bit of a future view. What do you think is coming over the horizon in the next sort of 12 months with the blend of business and technology in the telco space with mobility? And I guess maybe from the point of view of some of the decision makers in this space, what should they be considering as they look to that short to medium term future? What are some of the things that you'd advise them to keep on their agendas in the boardrooms and start to talk about in in their day-to-day conversations as to what mobility is going to look like over the next year or so from a future view perspective and a bit of crystal ball gazing?
0: Really what's happening most interestingly right now is and it kind of has been, but I think it's really accelerated with the recent, um, you know, the, the spectral auctions that came out with CBRS and customers wanting to own that environment, right, and own what, what Cellular can do for their world. And as they're looking at that, you know, whether it's the stadium, whether it's the, um, the manufacturing floor, it's how do I utilize this new topology, right, and what can I do right now? And I think what we see in the the short and near, short and midterm, what I'm seeing is a lot of education, right? You get up to speed on the things that I I didn't pay attention to before. And we didn't as an operator community really do the deep education on that side because wasn't a lot of change. Now it's there. So customers are ramping that up at the same time, you know, back to the methodology, it's, you know, examine your site types, right? Look at what your site type is. If you're in an industrial side, wow, there's a lot of things that are current that you can go make an impact on right now the way the topology has changed. Uh, when you look at the stadium experience, right, you know, do a lot of work with the stadium teams and what we're thinking about there. And, you know, I, I try to look at, you know, how can I drive that experience? And, and this is happening. I think this is where when you look at that side is how do I, you, know, you brought up the ambulance. Don't stop at the ambulance. Go all the way to the endpoint. What is the journey of that going to be from end to end, right? Don't look at it as two networks. I mean, you, you say, well, it's a mobility network and a wire network. Yes, technically, but understand how it goes all the way through. Because once you get to that level on that end to end, then you start to see how um, technologies will work. You, you brought up Pokemon Go, which I think I use that analogy quite often. That worked because it was reactive, Right. What if it was proactive, right, and it sent you the Pokemon that you're supposed to get in real time based on what you need? Those are the kind of visionary thoughts uh, that that we want to hear, right, that we want to hear, that that customers need to understand. So from our perspective, we want to help them understand what's that topology look like beyond just speeds and feeds, right? What is the converged model? What are the opportunities with, not only with our customers, but with our partners? And then, obviously, we want in return, what is that? user experience that you're going for and then you know there's things happening right now that they can be implemented that you know will at least start driving that next conversation again go to that five use case just put a sim in your robot uh, go to that you know which sets the groundwork for all those other things at the same time right you mentioned pose with the pros you mentioned we talked about the hologram we talked about the robotics that we're doing already those things are here right that's what's interesting but then at the same time There's bigger things that are continuing to come that are fed by that.
1: Indeed, it reminds me of Homer's Odyssey and where he constantly says that the uh, the journey's the thing, don't obsess with the destination, but at the same time, have a view of what outcome you want and try and build that stage. Well, Jason, thank yeah. you so much for some amazing insights. And uh, yeah, there's some very great little actionable takeaways there. I like your idea, look at your space, look at your field, look at your environment and see what you can leverage now and where you can take it from. And uh, you've given us a lot to think about. Well, firstly, thank you so much for sharing some insights into you personally and your background and, and certainly your academic and career path. And mm-hmm. And, and congratulations again on, on the amazing things you've been doing this year to keep people physically alive and safe and making work from home possible and keeping all the bits in between safe and secure and and, and keeping the the bad guys away from a ransomware and hacking point of view in the network. Um, and, and really enjoyed your insights around kind of what mobility means in your world and, and some of the innovations you're driving. And uh, I look forward to having you back in the show early 2021 to talk about where you're going next because, uh, you know, as you said many times, you're moving at such a pace now that uh, what you build today and what you build tomorrow are often different in a good way uh, because it's, it's such an exciting and innovative space and, and, and I guess if we can imagine it at some point, I imagine you're going to build it for us. Well, Jason, thank you so much for spending an hour with me. It's been an absolute pleasure to, uh, to chat to you uh, and, 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 and get a sense of your role uh, and what being the Director of the 5G Centre of Excellence at at and Business entails. And uh, we'll look forward to having you back on the show again soon to continue the conversation and find out what comes next in your world.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it much, and you know, on behalf of the team, you know, they're doing a great job too. So I appreciate the work they're doing to, to to keep those innovations coming and keeping everybody safe. So it's not just me. There's a there's a village. It does take one, that's for sure. So thank you again for having me.
1: Absolute pleasure. Will you stay safe, and we'll have you back again as soon. In the meantime, uh, folks, we'll have plenty of details in the show description and links to the relevant parts of AT and T Business website and portals on assets. And uh, thanks for joining us. And we'll see you in the next show. I'm Des Blanchfield. Uh, And you've just heard some amazing insights from Jason Inskip, Director of the 5G Center of Excellence at AT AT&T Business. Thank you again, Jason. Stay safe and have a great day.
0: Thanks.